Chapter 4 of What is Industrial Democracy by Norman Thomas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by the Progressing America Project. What is Industrial Democracy? Chapter 4 Producers' Cooperation. In examining the achievements of labor unions, we have watched approaches to industrial democracy which, whatever their tendency, their present achievement, and ultimate far-reaching effects, have left undestroyed the notion of two classes, one of owners, who in the main control the industry, and the other of workers. There have been experiments looking definitely to complete control by producers through cooperative methods. Long ago it occurred to social thinkers, that the way to control the new business of quantity production by machinery too expensive for the individual worker to own for himself was through workingmen's associations, which should own the necessary equipment and be their own employers. Even should it be necessary for these workers to get some outside capital, there was in theory no reason why the control of the workshop might not rest in the hands of the workers. Footnote. See on this the new statesman, Special Supplement on Cooperative Production, February 14, 1914 Prepared by the Fabian Society End footnote The earliest associations of producers were established in the years 1831 to 1834. The notion of a self-governing workshop made a powerful appeal to idealists and also in some countries, notably in France and in Italy to practical politicians who much preferred that the energy of radical workmen should be diverted from revolutionary activities to the attempt to manage certain industries. Reasons for Failure The history of this form of producers' cooperation in France, Britain, Germany, Italy, and the United States is long and instructive. A very few experiments had a measure of success. Many experiments showed that there was a true instinct for cooperation and for goodwill among the workers. But as a whole, the record of self-governing workshop is a record of failure. This is true not only of small shops, but of larger enterprises started in England and in America, with trade union backing. The committee of the Fabian Research Department reported in 1914 that it found three reasons for this failure. First, lack of adequate workshop discipline. Second, lack of the requisite knowledge of the market. Third, insufficient alacrity in changing processes. The first drawback the committee felt might be overcome by the spread of education and goodwill. The other two were more or less inherent in the very idea of self-governing workshops. Where cooperative enterprises have succeeded, they have often lost their idealism toward other workers employed as the industry expanded, the original worker owners have acted as capitalist managers. At best, an individual workshop or factory, even if organized on a large scale, is too small a unit to cope with the problems of true industrial democracy. Such a factory operates necessarily under the profit system, in competition with other factories. It buys or rents land under our present undemocratic system of land ownership and is subject to all the rules of the capitalist system in respect to the acquisition of raw materials, the marketing of its products, 
and the use of credit when credit is needed. The Knights of Labor, devoted in principle to producers' cooperation, under the leadership of its grand master, Terence Powderly, founded or encouraged several cooperative enterprises, all of which failed. In some cases, the cooperatives competed with other shops in the same industry on a basis which compelled employers to lower wages. By backing cooperatives, the Knights of Labor was in danger of destroying the wage scales which the workers had built up through years of struggle. Small wonder, then, that this elemental form of producers' cooperation finds little place in the thoughts and plans of the workers today. The Building Guilds we come now to a more elaborate experiment in producers' cooperation. For a time, it seemed as if the history of industrial democracy would be adorned by the conspicuous success of the building guilds in England. This movement, largely under the inspiration of guild socialism, to which we shall later refer, began shortly after the Great War. It centered about Manchester, but was national in vision and scope. It thought and planned on more effective lines than the old cooperative workshops. The participating workers undertook to provide housing on an increasingly extensive scale in competition with private builders. They took advantage of the aid offered by the government of Great Britain to relieve the housing shortage. For a time, all went well. Work of excellent quality was done under conditions vastly superior to those prevailing in competitive industry but finally the guilds came to grief. Part of their difficulty came from lack of sufficient capital or the ability to procure it. The end of government aid to housing emphasized this difficulty. Part of the difficulty came from inexpert management and bad cost accounting. The guilds, perhaps, were overgenerous in providing for such of their number as were unemployed. According to Alexander M. Bing, there is also the question whether that loyalty to the guild and to the guild idea of production for use rather than profit, which made for good work, rather better work, than under private building employers, when employment was general, produced as much efficiency when employment was scarce, and the private builders could drive the workers by an appeal to the desperate fear of losing their jobs. Footnote. The Survey. Wreck of the Building Guilds. January, 1924. End footnote. No doubt the financial collapse of these guilds set back guild socialism in general. But their record does not prove the impossibility of the guild plan. It shows the need of expert leadership and the difficulty of competing within the capitalist system with the motives and fears characteristic of that system. Farmers' Cooperatives From the point of view of actual achievement, the most significant types of producers' cooperatives in America today are not among industrial workers but farmers and deal less with the actual work of production than with marketing. Commodity marketing has, on the whole, a record of success. Such pools of tobacco, fruits, dairy products, etc., as Mr. Aaron Shapiro and others have been active in forming, while differing sharply in details of organization and in relative success, are strictly business in method and purpose. They exist to obtain better prices for their members, who doubtless deserve them. They make no pretense of special consideration for the consumer, or for consumers' cooperatives. They do, however, 
establish better grading of commodities, and benefit their members not so much by charging more to consumers, as by performing the functions of some of the middlemen, who now absorb so large a proportion of the difference between the dollar the consumer pays and the third of a dollar the farmer gets. They do, moreover, train the hitherto excessively individualistic farmer in habits of cooperation. Such services as these are socially valuable, and because of them farmers' cooperatives count in the advance of democracy in our economic order, in spite of the fact that they are generally capitalistic in sentiment and outlook. Footnote. See Benson Young Landis, The Social Aspects of Farmers' Cooperative Marketing, University of Chicago Press. End of chapter 4